Blog Talk Radio. Uh, sorry about that, folks. I thought uh, I uh, I thought I was on live, and I guess I uh, accidentally hit the mute button for the headset. So I apologize about that. But let me just say this really quickly: um, Grant Wall, ladies and gentlemen, Grant Wall was informed by a security officer in the media center to delete a photo of him taking a picture of the world slogan. And he couldn't believe what was going on. And then a uh, reporter uh, for TV2 in Denmark, Mr. Rasmus Pantholt, had a man be blocked from the live shot being sent to his television station in Denmark. Didn't the Qatarians know what was going to happen when the World Cup was coming to their country? A World Cup that they bribed for? That they illegally earned? Did they not know? Did they not know the world will be watching this World Cup from them? And all these nations coming to their country, even those nations who've qualified for the World Cup, coming over to broadcast and report on the matches. This is travesty, ladies and gentlemen. This is disgusting. Do the Qatari royal family and the government not know that everything's going to be recorded, broadcasted, and everything. It's not just the football on the pitch that they will be discussing. It will be everything and anything that is going on. Now, you know, fine, FIFA wants to avoid an issue with the situations of the human rights issues all those unnecessary deaths to those migrant workers that they have been illegally keeping in their country. But the point is is this. You cannot run and hide when the greatest game and the greatest tournament in world soccer, in world football, is on your doorsteps. Bunker City, outdoors. What hotels in Qatar? I don't know if there's really any, going to be any hotels in Qatar, but if you do fly over and you do attend this World Cup representing your nation and at the same time maybe just representing football as a whole, 
You'll be living in basically a boxed tent outside, and you cannot drink alcohol, no sex, no kissing, no forms of affection. Oh, yeah, and don't forget, don't bring any bacon over either. You know, it it really disgusts me to see what is going on with Qatar. It's really, really disgusting to see what is happening when you have a nation who has no football league, they have a national team, and they want to prove, you know, no real footballing history, and yet they believed that they deserve the World Cup. In the summertime, the temperatures are increasingly hot and dangerous. Worse than the summers in California and in Florida. But no, put it over there. I have said many, many times, I am not against an Arab nation hosting a World Cup in the summertime when it should be. But if they need assistance to build stadiums with retractable roofs, they can contact the people in the United States or in Canada or anywhere in North America, maybe also in England. And I bet they would have shared the technological information. But no, 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 absolutely not. How dare they? How dare they ask for help? Dare they even try to ask for help because they think they can do it all on their own. And it proves to me, without a shadow of doubt, with all the money that they've bribed the executive committee members of FIFA, of then Sepp Blatter's FIFA, that they don't know how to handle the public and how they should be seen in a positive light because in their eyes, everything has to be hidden. That's not how it works, gentlemen. To the royal emir, that's not how it works. And aren't you glad, ladies and gentlemen, aren't you glad you live in the United States of America? Freedom of speech, all of rights, labor laws, Sure, there might have been some upgrades, but we all know they're never going to change. They're never going to change their stripes. This World Cup, even though we have not kicked off officially on Sunday, this World Cup has already been a failure. Regardless who lifts that golden trophy at the end of this tournament, regardless of whatever success FIFA believes they have had, regardless of who wins, regardless of how many wonderful goals we're going to see, many, many highlight reels we're going to have, on the common sense value of this 2022 FIFA World Cup, it is already a loss. It is already a travesty. It's already a failure. And it's a 
goddamn shame. A shame! Johnny Infantino, the current president of FIFA, could not find a way to take this World Cup away from Qatar. Because the truth is this. Even though it's coming here and being shared with our neighbors to the north in Canada and to the south in Mexico, this World Cup should have already been played this past summer in the United States. We should have had this World Cup already done a couple of months ago. And now we're all paying for it. And it's just a damn, damn shame. Well, ladies and gentlemen, i got a great show for you tonight. Later on, Michael Lewis will be joining me. Uh, New York City FC made some news in the headlines on a stadium situation. We'll get to him in just a moment. But joining me right now, I haven't had this man on in a long time, but it's great to have him on right now. He is, of course, the San Antonio FC reporter for the Forward Access Network over in San Antonio and in Texas, Mr. Stephen Stephen Anderson joins me right now as San Antonio FC defeats Louisville City to win their first championship in USL championship action. Stephen, welcome back. And uh, what a night it was for San Antonio FC to hoist their first trophy in USL championship history. Hey, Darren. Thanks for having me back, man. It's great to be back. And, uh, yes, it was a great night at Toyota Field on Sunday night. Um, still, still, still can't believe I got to experience a championship match uh, and a great historic season for San Antonio FC. I just feel incredibly, incredibly blessed to have covered it. And uh, it was a one match for the ages, I'll tell you. Now, obviously, San Antonio is not shy of winning titles, obviously, when the North American mm-hmm. Soccer League who owns San Antonio FC, and it's their first soccer championship after, of course, the Spurs won their respective NBA titles. What is it from them that you got that they were extremely excited to finally get a soccer championship to say, officially, again, San Antonio, Texas is title town in the major sports world. Yeah, I mean, even throughout the season, uh, Danny, you had, you know, R.C. Buford come by, who is now the CEO of Spurs Sports and Entertainment. He was there also on Sunday night as well. Uh, you had the mayor of San Antonio. You had uh, Spurs players there supporting them. You had uh, the Spurs social media wishing the guys luck on their matches uh, when the game track close to the playoffs. You know, they, you, you saw support. Uh, from the Spurs organization, and I mean, it just means a lot. I mean, the, the Spurs, I mean, obviously are the gold standard of the NBA when it comes to winning championships and when it comes to, you know, doing things of that nature, and now you can say soccer is added to that mix. I mean, we were all wondering after the match, my colleagues and I on press row were like, oh, are they going to get a parade? Like, what, what's going to happen? Because when the Scorpions won in the NASL, um Nothing happened. We're like, okay, I guess that's it. But the guys got a parade yesterday, and the fans got to celebrate. And it was it was a good time. But the city of San Antonio has embraced this team. And the weird thing is, I've covered this team since 2016, and this is the first time I have felt like the city really embraced this team. And that's wonderful to hear. That's wonderful to uh, listen to. And you know, look. 
I think we can all agree uh, San Antonio's got some strong fans. Texas has great, talented players. We all know Clint Dempsey was uh, admitted to the uh, Soccer Hall of Fame, of course, this past summer. Uh, just wonderful talent coming through the San Antonio pipeline. Great fans as well, as well as great players coming through Texas and all all major cities and towns up and down and left and right of the state. Uh, let's get into the match details, obviously. Early penalty situation, two, three minutes into the match, as there was a foul inside the area by the goalkeeper, mm-hmm. Fernandez, uh, by Louisville City. And Mitchell Tainter was ready to take the penalty. And my God, in the fourth minute... How he yanked that out away from the near post. That was weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and after the match, he was like, you know, this is probably the worst penalty I've ever taken in my career. And whenever he took it, I had turned to my colleague on the right, and I told her, I was like, he probably wasn't the guy that probably should have taken that, looking back on it. But, I mean, it worked <laughs> out in the end, obviously. But, but I mean, Tainter, usually he's, he's not bad at penalties, but, but that was, was not, not one that he will put in the memory books for sure. No, very true, very true. Then, of course, later on in second in first half stoppage time, uh, another penalty was awarded to Antonio, and it was a legitimate handball, obviously. There was, mm. There's no doubt about it. The, the hand was away from the uh, chest of the defender. The referee had no choice but to call the penalty, and it was Santiago Patino who scored the first goal of the match, his first goal of the match as well, to make it 1-0 mm. to go into the halftime break. Uh, Patino, what has he done to give hope to San Antonio uh, for this title run that they were able to get on in USL Championship? I mean, you know, he he's had a season. I mean, we, we, uh, when I were to interview him after games, the first thing would be like, well, how are you feeling? Because he, I can tell you more times than not, he's been on that injury report. And there's always something going on with him. We're like, well, are you good? But to see him bounce back the way he did in these playoffs, a brace in three straight playoff matches, and and that, that has been incredible. So he is one of the main cogs for SAFC uh, this season, moving forward, crossing our fingers. Uh, that he will be a main cog for this team. But to see him go on the run and see him paired with Sam and uh two very quality, good strikers, it, it was a match made in heaven for, for, for Coach Marcina. And he, we even saw it in the playoffs uh, in, uh, against uh, Oakland when Marcina went to that three-striker formation, and it paid off. It really paid off. And I think that is something that's I can say I've watched a lot of USL teams. I don't know if a lot of USL teams have a formation like that that can be any given guy that can really put the ball in the back of the net. Patino is definitely the one that leads the charge for that. Yes, he was. And then you get into the second half. And in the middle of that second half, Samuel, Adrian, uh, wow. Uh, what a what a slight header that was. I mean, San Antonio playing some head games there, and they did so. And Ad, um <laughs> Ad Dinerian, uh finding a way to gently put that ball over the goal line to drop it down behind the keeper to make it two nil, uh, mm-hmm. you know, on loan from the Seattle Sounders, and he uh, leaves San Antonio with a championship. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this team was already a very good squad before adding him on loan, and after getting him, I felt like this is the. I mean, if they were missing a piece. 
he was the one that was really that missing piece. And we saw why as soon as he got to San Antonio, his impact was instantly felt uh, on the field, off the field, you know, in the locker room. The guys had nothing but kind words to say about him. He had nothing but kind words to say about the city of San Antonio. And as you said, he leaves San Antonio. He will be going back to Seattle um, with a championship. And, I mean, it's, it's sad for me who has covered him, but I'm happy to see him go and get this big opportunity, and I hope he does really well in, in the future. And once again, it's Patino with the second goal of the match in the uh, 70th minute. What a jailbreak that was. Great ball passing uh, from San Antonio. And then when Patino was was there at the right time to slot that ball in, 3-0 San Antonio. Great job by them. Obviously, Brian Ownby, uh, USL legend, gets one back. Uh, for Louisville City to make in the 78th minute, but still though it didn't really matter. San Antonio in the driver's seat, hit the foot on the pedal, all the gas in the world, and it's the first time for San Antonio FC that they win uh, a, a championship in USL championship as they get their first title. Yeah, I mean it was just incredible to watch. You know, Alan Marcina has called these guys the mentality monsters all season long and we're thinking oh man another another mantra but this one really stuck because these guys dug deep and i said i i, I tell my my press row buddies all the time like this season just felt different i don't know why but it did and we've all seen scfc in the, of the past when they would have a lead give up a goal late to either force a draw or a loss and that would be the story but this season, they kept their leads. When they would score first, they would buckle down defensively for 80-plus minutes sometimes and just buckle that lead down and keep that lead. That is, I think that is the Marcina mindset that he has stuck with his guys. The defense wins championship. Um, Colorado's coach uh, obviously called their style of play boring, and we saw how that ended in the playoffs for them. So, I mean, um, you know, it may be boring for some teams, but for San Antonio, it worked, and it got them a championship. You know, I have to say, Alan Marcino, who is the, as you said, we all know the head coach of San Antonio FC, you know, mm-hmm. he, yeah, I mean, you know, when you think about it, when you really, really think about it, he was a part of the San Antonio Scorpions of the NESL as an assistant coach, and then he took over mm-hmm. the club, won the soccer bowl that uh, one of those years when he took over as head coach, and then when San Antonio FC came in and then he becomes an assistant coach again. And then of course, since 2000, since 2020, I should say, he took over the club in USL and it's him again, winning uh, another championship for San Antonio. I mean, what magic does Marcina have for San Antonio (laughs) soccer? It's just amazing that he goes from assistant to head and in both teams, Win the title. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, it is incredible to watch. I don't know what he does in that locker room, but whatever he does works. But one thing I will say, Daniel, is that a lot of the guys that I have spoken to over the course of Marcina's tenure in San Antonio from 2020 to now have all said, this man made me a better player. He made me a better person on and off the field. And I think that is something you may not see around soccer, whether it's USL, MLS, whatever. Some coaches are just there to coach you, and that's it. But it takes a really special person to change you both on and off of the pitch. And I think that's what Marcina does. I mean, I 
no disrespect to Memphis uh, head coach. They had a great season. I was very surprised to see Marcina not win coach of the year, considering the record-breaking season SAFC had, best, you know, everything that they broke this year, finishing it with a title. But Marcina definitely has some magic in there. The guys respect him. His players respect him. His coaching staff respects him. And I think a lot of teams around the USL, uh, uh, players around the USL also respect him. So maybe SAFC's run, we'll see some new players come in and be added to that mix. We'll see what happens, and hopefully they'll have a, a good title defense next season. Now, I have to ask you this about Marcina as well. Marcina as well. He is a Canadian international, a former player in Canada. Um, he <laughs> resides in British Columbia. Now, I don't want to throw any, you know, any cause for concern or anything like that because, you know, right now, John Herdman is the head coach of the Canadian men's national team. But if John <laughs> Herdman ever does leave – that's that position. Do you feel Marcina could be in, you know, maybe a candidate for the Canadians men's national team if if he does get the call? It's funny you ask because um, I was literally ten minutes ago in a group chat with some of my media friends. We were talking about this. Like Marcina has won two Division two championships now, uh, US and USL and now NALS. Um, and if he keeps winning next season and beyond, he's going to get a bigger opportunity. And I could see, you know, them making the call. I could see him getting a call to coach the Canadian national team. And, and if that is him, what a coach they have. I mean, the guy has instilled in his players, and not just in San Antonio, wherever he has coached, he has instilled good good qualities in his players and he looks for the best in his players and it could be someone at the end of the bench who may not even play it could be someone from the academy that they're just learning or it could be someone who's a veteran of 10 or five years or whatever and he looks for the best in everybody because he believes that any given person if you have the skills you can contribute and we saw that because so many different lineups throughout the season i lost count of how many different lineups this man had throughout the season in the starting 11 because there were so many injuries that SAFC went through and it, and it worked. They got a title out of it because he said next man up and that's what he believed. And I think if, if they are lucky to get him, they're going to have a very good coach. I agree. And uh, I got to tell you right now, San Antonio is lucky to still have Marcina there, uh, you know, residing in San Antonio. He knows the area. Uh, love the celebration in the Riverwalk uh, by some San Antonio players jumping into the water with the trophy. Yeah. That was crazy to watch. And listen, I don't blame them. Uh, I mean, honestly, I think that's better than a parade going in for a mm-hmm. dip in the drink. Why not? And, uh, you know, that, that was exciting to see uh, on social media watching that video happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a little chilly out in Texas. Maybe not in New York where you are, but it, it's a little chilly out in Texas, 40-something degrees. Us Texans are not used to that cold, so those guys are brave. <laughs> uh, no, it's that cold up here, too, believe me. We're in the 40-degree weather, 40- 40 <laughs> to 50-degree weather area, so trust me. Uh, we are in uh, that area as well right now. But listen, Stephen, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Hope to have you back on again next season. Uh, hope you're enjoying the time uh, with the World Cup matches. We'll see what happens. And uh, good luck next year, San Antonio FC, and hope to have you on again soon. Thank you again.
Of course. Thank you. And thank you for having me. And I look forward to talking with you soon. Absolutely. That's Stephen Anderson for Forward Access News over in San Antonio, Texas. As San Antonio FC in USL Championship, they win their first title. In reality, second title in the second division of American soccer. Joining me right now, uh, the master of all soccer riding. I don't care what anyone says. I am uh, thrilled and always happy to call him a colleague, as I hope he does with me. It is from Front Row Soccer. Michael Lewis joining me right now. Hey, great to be on. How are you? Point area near City Field, which is the home of the New York Mets. Michael, welcome back, and uh, how are you tonight? I'm doing well, thank you. Uh, got a lot of work to do these days, but uh, I'll definitely take some time off to talk to you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, well, thank you for taking the invite. So, Michael, look, before we even talk about the success of um, this, finally, this announcement that has been, you know, waiting for a good while now after so many false starts in the media, um, you know, to see this team jumping all over the New York City area, the tri-state area, going as far as California just to host a home match, whether it be league play, Open Cup play, CONCACAF Champions League play. I mean, you know, we were thinking that they were never going to get anything done. You know, it wasn't a good look for the league or the team. Um and you got to give a lot of credit to the players for doing so well, despite not knowing where they might, well, not knowing where they were going to call home. I mean, the one thing about having home field advantages, you know the field and you get very used to it. Much more difficult when you're using four, five, six fields in, a, in an entire season, which is absurd. Um, you know, did we think it was going to get done? <laughs> Good question. It felt like we were on this flying Dutchman type of boat going on forever and ever that uh, the deal is almost here. Oh, nope, they don't want us there. Whoop, this falls through. But um, they finally found a a good home. When I say a good home, people kind of know where City Field is. That's where Shea Stadium was as well two years ago. So we're talking about an American sporting uh, venue for, what, 60-some-odd years? So. I think it's a good place to be. I know NYCFC wanted it uh, or looked in the Bronx early on, but unfortunately that was not going to happen, not in their neighborhood and a few other headaches. And we could take a five-hour show to go through all their all their problems trying to find a place to play, a, play, a place to call home, no, I, I should say. Absolutely. No, I understand that. And for those of you that are not from New York City or if you have visited uh, – New York City for Mets games, if you are a, uh, a baseball fan of, of a different team in the National League East or wherever in the National League or in the American League, depending on uh, interleague play, of course, uh, this will be located behind right field uh, on Tom Seaver Way, I believe, on the other side, which normally would be uh, auto body shops, or as we like to call them, chop shops, um, a uh, long time ago in the 
70s, 60s, a graveyard for former Long Island Railroad trains. Every time I would cross the Fenwick Expressway going to Queens to visit family for me, um, in an area where uh, it's going to be a mixed-use development, not just the stadium, but also residential and uh, shops and a hotel. You know, I, I like the plan. On paper, it really, really looks good. The one thing that I guess I am concerned about is that, and I know they're giving themselves, what, four and a half years to get at least the stadium done, is that, you know, in New York City, you've got to jump through hoops, things happen, and I hope I'm wrong, but will it, you know, they want to have the stadium ready by 2027, and I believe the the housing uh, ready even before that, which I think is more important than a sports stadium, quite frankly. Let's let's get real here. But uh, hopefully, the, you know, it's not delayed. I remember the Red Bull Arena saga, um, which started when the team was the Metro Stars, and it just seemingly went on forever. There were a number of delays um, and things that they could not uh, stop themselves. So hopefully... Um, this does not uh, repeat history on this side of the Hudson. Um, and that uh, would be great sure. in 2027. No, it really I'm would. Um, I mean, Michael, we're no, you're fine. No, listen, look, Michael, you know, we're not strangers at all to uh, New York City politics, but there's George Steinbrenner built brand new Yankee Stadium across the street from the old site. Uh, the Wilpons, who were the owners at the time of the Mets, they built City Field. Uh, Char- James Dolan refitted Madison Square Garden. Uh, the owner of the Nets, not the current owners, but the former owners, I believe it's Ratner, built Barclays Center in Brooklyn. And uh, the Red Bulls, basically the stadium themselves in Harrison. Um, and now we're seeing a soccer stadium being built all by New York City, uh, I believe by Manchester City and the uh, Etihad Airways uh, group that will be uh, building that stadium. Are you surprised to see the progress being made in this area for sports stadiums? I am um, encouraged by it. I mean, (laughs) this stadium is going to cost $780 $780 million. That's a reported figure by the New York, in today's New York Times, um, which is huge for a soccer stadium. I think, uh, I, I don't have the um, numbers for Yankee Stadium, the new Yankee Stadium or City Field, but I think they were in in that range, and that was a much larger stadium for so many different reasons. And my gut feeling is, knowing the way things are, in general, with construction and with the economy, it's going to get close to or maybe even surpass $1 billion. I could be wrong on that. But just seeing the way I've seen stadiums say we're going to start at X and they wind up at Y or Z. Um, it's great to have a stadium, but be prepared. City uh, football group, um, they probably are ready for more north of $780 million. 
And we'll see what happens when finally we get to see sketches of a possible stadium being built. And it should be a lot of fun to see when the uh, construction begins. Um, Now, for those of you that are not familiar with our transportation system in New York City, we have the New York City subways. We also have commuter railroad. There is a Long Island Railroad station uh, that is connected by uh, the old uh, boardwalk walkway that goes to the uh, U.S. Open uh, Tennis Center. Uh, and the number seven train stops at Flushing, Queens, as well as Willits Point. And so there's the Port Washington branch uh, line of Long Island Railroad. And, Michael, will you be saving gas money this time around for half the time <laughs> you go to the games when the stadium is open? I think it's going to be great. I will have the option of either driving or taking the train there. And if I take the train, it'll be the Long Island Railroad to Jamaica, and then I'll take a – uh, a subway from Jamaica to, um, to to the stadium. I did that many, many, many years ago when I watched the Mets of the World in the 1969 World Series. I uh, hope I'm not uh, dating myself on how old I am, but uh, but it's great to have options. It really, really is. It's going to be, you know, I, I know NYCFC has played at City Field before, it's great having to drive to a game that, in optimum conditions for me, it's 45 minutes, maybe an hour, or a little more than an hour. Um, that's vacation compared to going to Yankee Stadium, whether I'm driving or taking the train, or the same thing for Red Bull Arena. So uh, I am looking forward to whatever option is the best at the time. <laughs> but I eventually will oh, save some guest money. Yep. All I can say is this, uh, Michael, you've probably seen Ebbets Field and the Polo Grounds more than I have. So that's that's on you. That's not by me. I wish I would have seen no, them in I my, in my so. lifetime. But uh, I did not. I did not say that either one. Sorry. <laughs> ah, darn it. I guess I have to go to Jack Bell then, our, our, our former colleague at the New York Times. But uh, <laughs> we'll have to wait and see on that one. Um, you know, what does that say with Don Garber now after you've harassed him over and over <laughs> and over again at every uh, state of the league addresses uh, that you've attended for MLS cup finals? I know you've missed one because of the pandemic and I understand, but still though you've attended every single MLS cup final uh, that you were able to do uh, without any uh, pandemic stopping you. How do you think Don Garber feels mm-hmm. right now? about this situation well, no longer being asked. I'll be asking him some other questions on why the stadium is running late. But but seriously, um, and I think my headline on Front Row Soccer says it all, uh, it says Garber's triumph. Um, and it was something that he has been pushing for, hoping for since 2010. Yes, uh, there have been so many ups and downs through this whole process. Um, but it's a big deal for him in so many ways. He is the commissioner of the league, but as it turns out, he grew up in Flushing, Queens, not too far from the stadium. So uh, you talk about a hometown hero. Here is someone who pulled it off in his hometown. Yes, it took a long time, but he pulled it off, no problem. Now, about um, me asking uh, Don Garber questions at – MLS Cup, his State of the uh, League address. 
I think he knew. I, I felt like a pitcher who only had one pitch, um, and he knew what was coming. But I think I had to ask it for uh, journalistic reasons. And I think the fans at least needed the question asked. I understood I was not going to always get maybe the answer I was hoping for or something different. But I think those questions had to be asked. And I would like to think other journalists, since I was the maybe – I was probably, at a lot of these, the only New York journalist. This was my only time to ask, and I would ask it. Next year, I'll worry about asking something else. Uh, but I've got a year to figure that out. Yes, you do. Um, let's really talk about all these locations uh, within the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, uh, tri-state area. Yankee Stadium, of course. City Field, Belson Stadium on the campus of St. John's University. At a time, uh, the athletic field at Fordham University in the Bronx. Um, Rentschler Field at the home of the UConn, University of Connecticut's college football team. Red Bull Arena and, of course, Bank of California Stadium. That's too many miles, Michael. <laughs> too many miles for even any soccer team to be playing where the Red Bulls slash Metro stars only had two locations, defunct giant stadium and currently at Red Bull arena. I, I mean, what is it about this sport sometimes that just, you know, shakes your head or that gets so many blockades in front of them until finally they can pass the finish line. Well, let's face it in New York city, they're not making any new land and, Whatever land there is, it's difficult to find a good spot uh, for a stadium, for anything. We can go into what transpired with the Islanders uh, at their new arena, a relatively new arena in, in Elmont, New York. And at one time, the Cosmos wanted to put something there, and there were all sorts of problems with that and headaches with that. And, we, and again, that's probably another show and a half to talk about. But... Um, it's just not easy to to put a, a stadium to find the proper venue area in a city like New York, despite it being five boroughs and as large as it is. Boston, I know they're having problems trying to find a spot, even just barely outside of Boston. Um, and, you know, when MLS started, there was no such thing as soccer-specific stadiums. There were games were being played in football stadiums, college and professional NFL. And slowly but surely, they've added uh, soccer-specific stadiums. You couldn't take a magic wand and turn things around overnight. Um, but it's it's a long, unfortunately, it's a long, drawn-out process. Um, I give a lot of credit to whoever is behind all these projects because. Like I said, it's a roller coaster ride, many ups and many downs. Um, and I think every team, every MLS team should have a home they should call their own. And uh, I'm, I'm very, very happy for NYCFC and it's their players uh, finally to get a home. Yes, we're going to have to wait a few years, but at least there's a the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. 
And before I let you go, Michael, uh, I want to go to a personal uh, question to ask you, and it's not NYCFC related. It is uh, media related, and obviously I'm going towards what's going on in Qatar with how Grant Wall was treated, uh, a Danish television news reporter, how he was treated trying to uh, broadcast his uh, report to local Danish te- television back at his homeland, how, uh, I mean, basically the Qatari government or a security detail, whatever, has been blocking and preventing reporters for just simply doing what they're trained to do and what their job is to do, report on what's going on, or taking a picture of a slogan in the media center for this World Cup and being told, you cannot film here or you must delete that photo of the slogan. And of course, Grant Wall was unfortunately caught on that uh, situation. You, as a longtime member of the soccer media, of the American sports media as well, what's your feeling and what's your opinion of this? Oh, boy. Uh, you have 10 minutes. I'll try to uh, cram it into a few. Uh, I'm abhorred by it. I think the media should be allowed to report on whatever they want to. Um, this is a horrible look for the World Cup, a horrible look for FIFA, who granted the World Cup to Qatar, Qatar whatever you want to call the, the country this week. Um, you just don't do that. You're, you're coming off as an authoritarian government who you can't even take a picture of something in the press center. That is totally absurd. And listen, we haven't even started this tournament yet. It doesn't start until Sunday. That's when things really get rolling. Are they going to be able to police everyone? Um, Part of me says, I wish I was there. And another part of me says, I'm glad I'm not there because I just wonder, what are they going to, are they looking over my shoulder? And I fear this is just that tip of the iceberg that we're going to see more of this. Uh, Let people report or don't have the World Cup at all. Simple as that. Um, But like I said, I'm abhorred by just these two incidents that we know. There might be others that we might not know of. And I fear we're going to be hearing about more. I hope I'm very, very wrong in this case. But, man, um, if this is what the World Cup is going to be, be like, um, and it's too late to pull it from them, but uh, just uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Just piss poor, very piss poor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I completely agree with you, Michael. And uh, let's just hope and pray this doesn't happen again uh, throughout when the tournament does get underway this coming Sunday. But other than that, Michael, thank you for your time. I really do appreciate you coming on, and uh, thank you again for reporting on everything in the New York uh, city area for soccer as well as American soccer as a whole. Thank you again. Uh, you're welcome. My pleasure for being on anytime as long as I'm uh, not sleeping or not doing a billion and one stories at the same time. I'll be more than happy to be on your show. Thank you again. And I have a happy yeah, Thanksgiving. That means Joy will be very upset. And that means Joy will be very <laughs> upset with you at the same time. But thank you. Have a happy Thanksgiving as well, Michael. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right. Thank you very much. Michael Lewis, Front Row Soccer, 
on uh, the New York City FC stadium finally being approved for construction. And, of course, uh, they're just waiting for renderings to start this construction phase, hopefully uh, within two to three years, they said. Hopefully we'll see what happens and uh, and we'll uh, move forward with that. But uh, other than that, join me along with uh, co-hosts. I'm going to have Christian Miles on with me to do USA World Cup group stage post-game shows, and hopefully they'll advance out of the group to get into the knockout stage and uh, join us here at 2 o'clock Eastern. Excuse me, 2 o'clock Eastern is the games uh, in Qatar. It'll be post-game shows here, 4 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock Pacific, here at blogtalkradio.com forward slash 4 And we will have commentary from myself as well as Christian Miles trying to get other people to join in as well and we'll let you uh, be informed about that uh, somewhere down the road before we get to Tuesday afternoon here late Tuesday evening in Qatar and once again this coming uh, Monday I should say is the first match I should say on Monday um, on the 21st of November the United States will take on the Welsh and then on Friday Thanksgiving Friday The USA will take on England, and then the following Tuesday, the United States finishing off the group stage matches against Iran. So I want to thank my guests for tonight, Stephen Anderson on San Antonio FC's victory, championship victory in USL Championship, and once again, I want to thank Michael Lewis of Front Row Soccer for joining me to talk about New York City FC's uh, brand new stadium, which has now been officially agreed upon. Don't forget, this coming Monday will be the first post-match show in the FIFA World Cup as the United States will take on Wales with Christian Miles. This is the end of the show for tonight. Thank you for joining me, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you for joining me. And please, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long. And bye-bye for now. Have a good night, everybody.